Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the State of the League podcast, a series where I, Jack, a.k.a. Jokic Joestar, am taking a look at the upcoming NBA season through the lens of the fans of each NBA franchise. And today I am joined by Joel from the Pick Aside podcast to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves. Joel, how are you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm honored to be here. I I love that I've become this de facto Timberwolves fan. Even though I'm a Knicks fan, that's my team that I root for. The Timberwolves, man, Anthony Edwards, that's just my guy. That's uh, my favorite player in the league currently, and I'm honestly more excited for their season than I am for the Knicks, even though I am a Knicks fan. I mean, yeah, the Timberwolves, it's... It's kind of, I mean, not to just like jump right into it, but it is kind of a weird spot that they're in where I don't like their team that much, but Anthony Edwards rocks so much that like whenever I look at them, I'm like, okay, I hope they do well just because Ant's there. Like the rest of them I could go without. I don't care. But I mean, especially with everything that went down with Team USA this summer and how he stepped up there, it's just hard not to like the guy. And he's so fucking good for being like 21 or 22 years old. Yeah. So I can totally understand, even though you are a Knicks fan, being excited and loving the Timberwolves and being ready for what they're going to do this upcoming season. So I guess that brings me to question number one I got for you. How do you feel about where the Timberwolves are at as a franchise? I feel like they're in a great spot. And the reason why I feel that way is because... They're coming off back-to-back playoff appearances. The last time that's happened was in the 02-03 and the 03-04 season. So it's been 19 years since Timberwolves fans have been in the playoffs back-to-back, and they're looking to make it three times in a row this year. You got to always be in a great place when you have Anthony Edwards on your team, and I think Jaden McDaniels is also a star. He's just right now in a role where, He cannot take a lead scoring option, so he's going to be the fourth guy on that team. I would say fifth now that Mike Conley has entered the the team. But I think they're in a great position. You got two building blocks in the Ant-Man and McDaniels. And looking at this team under 24, Nas Reed, who's one of the best backup centers in the league, Wendell Moore, Jalen Clark, Leonard Miller, Josh Minot. These are guys that aren't going to play, but I feel like if they were young players on other teams, we would be talking about them a little bit more. Yeah, and I can understand having that feeling about the franchise. It's it's like, I don't know. They have such a young guy that is like the key to everything. Like they're going as far as Anthony Edwards is able to play at a super high level, in my opinion. Uh, And when you have a team like that, it's surprising when everyone else around him, you're like, okay, Second option, Cat's like 28 or something, I would assume. And then Gobert is well over 30. Conley is like 35 at this point. Everyone you're relying to be good around this 21-year-old is like older in NBA terms. And so it's just a weird dynamic to have. I, I, uh, I'm intermediate on where the Wolves are at. Uh, I love Anthony Edwards, but I think the dynamic of the team around them is just kind of strange. Uh just in the sense that like we're here now and it's a good team and the fact that they are back-to-back playoff appearances I think that is a good thing at the end of the day obviously you want to um, make it as far into the postseason as you can and for a franchise like the Wolves where they just had that super long playoff drought of being horrible that sucks but to make the playoffs and you're like holy shit it's cool we're back and immediately sell out on the Gobert trade it kind of like deflated the air 
in in the feeling around the franchise a little bit, just in the sense that it's like, oh, okay, we're in now. Uh, it's kind of hard to look to the future after you make a move like that. And so now you're kind of reevaluating where the roster is at through that lens. And in a win now sense or a win in the very near future, I'm not sure about the Timberwolves. But like I said, uh, Anthony Edwards is so good that you kind of have to feel good about where you're at. And you mentioned it. The Rudy Gobert trade was something that accelerated the timeline for this team. Now you have to win now. And it's fascinating looking back at the Rudy Gobert trade because what they gave up, Patrick Beverly, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, who outside of Pat Bev, you can't trust Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt in a playoff setting consistently. The real one was Walker Kessler, who if the Wolves had Walker Kessler now, now you're talking about the Wolves as one of the best young cores in the NBA. Wow, they have Anthony Edwards. They have Walker Kessler. They have McDaniels. Oh my goodness, this is a great trio moving forward. But all in all, I I do feel like they draft pretty well. And Gobert, even though the numbers show you that Walker was better, I feel like Gobert, I think he's still a better player. You know, just in a vacuum, he's a better player. And I think Anthony Edwards is ready to step up to that moment to where you don't need young players. You can go out and you can trade for vets and you can kind of accelerate this process a little bit. I know later we'll get get into the show about, you know, disappointments for the season and surprises and stuff. But the Timberwolves are definitely a team that should keep taking leaps forward. Yeah. And with the Gobert Walker Kessler comparison, uh, it's just. He was set up to fail there, I feel like, Gobert, just in the sense that, like, nobody likes him anyways, and I'm not going to die on a hill defending Gobert, but he is still, like, a good basketball player. And so if if Kessler was even good for the Jazz and Gobert was, like, had a down year, people were going to dogpile on that comparison regardless. And I agree with you. I think uh, it's easy to say that a young guy who overachieves in a setting where they're not expecting a ton of, like, contributions to winning I know Utah had that really hot start but they didn't end up doing anything or getting into the postseason in any meaningful way it's easy to look at a young guy being like oh he gets a lot of blocks he protects the rim really well which he does and be like oh my god is he better than Rudy Gobert just because we've seen Rudy Gobert have a lot of shortcomings and a lot of issues and kind of underachieve with the Timberwolves last season, which is is also uh, there's contributions from things like injury. And I think Gobert is a guy who would probably benefit from having a couple years of continuity with the guys that he is uh, helping with perimeter defense or catching lobs, running the pick and rolls with and things like that. So I think over the next year, two years, we should probably see a bit of a resurgence back to what we know Rudy Gobert is capable of being. And I think then you'll kind of see him start to separate himself from uh, Kessler in Utah. Yeah, I think Kessler is amazing, though. I I do think he's like a future defensive player of the year candidate. And that's why it's tough when you look at the the trade on paper, because the Timberwolves would 100% be in a better position had they not traded for Rudy Gobert. (laughs) But this is where they are now. You know, like now this is what you have. This is what you have to work with. And I'm not one of those people that constantly just brings up the past when it comes to moves. It's like, you know, whenever we talk about Gobert, oh, but the trade, oh, but they could have had Kessler because, you know, we're we're here now and this is the current team. And I still think even with this current team, they can compete. 
It's weird. I didn't realize that it had been that long since they made the playoffs like that. And when you mention it, they immediately, it's like them and Sacramento are two teams where they just had these super long playoff droughts. And it's bizarre when you put those two teams next to each other, just to look at like the difference in vibes between like the fan bases and everything. There's almost for having probably the best player either team has in Anthony Edwards, I would say there is still almost a cloud hanging over the Minnesota Timberwolves in the sense that like, we don't know what's going to happen when Anthony Edwards is at the point where he could be the best player on the planet. And whereas with Sacramento, it's just like, they are so happy and they kind of like held on to a lot of their assets and they now have this duo that they're not like super young, but they're probably neither one of them is entering their prime for several more seasons. So they kind of have the more traditional path forward in terms of like building a team that will eventually contend for a championship. It's just, I don't know. That's a strange juxtaposition that popped into my mind when you brought up the playoffs like that. That's a great point. Because when it comes to the Timberwolves, although they do have Anthony Edwards and the future looks kind of looks bright with him, do you really trust this team? And it's it's really, do you trust Cat? Do you trust Gobert? The front court is made up of players that around the league don't have the best reputation. Carl Anthony Towns on defense when he has to guard in perimeter is worrisome. He's best at the five. I think that, and that's why I feel like the best plan of action for the Wolves was to get a backup center, which could have been Walker Kessler as a rookie, and just have him play spot minutes and have him play in the playoffs when you need him. But now when you force Cat to play the four full-time and you have Gobert, it does mess up the spacing. And I think the big question mark coming into this year is Anthony Edwards last year broke out, and that's in large part due to Cat being out. Now that Cat is back into this offense and we know he can score 25 a game, is Edwards going to take that leap statistically that we've all been looking forward to him taking? And will the addition of Mike Conley help Rudy Gobert offensively? Because I think not having a true point guard definitely hurt Gobert. So bringing in somebody like Conley who has chemistry with him was helpful. And as for the Kings, I love the Kings. I, I think they were the best story in the NBA last year but they are also a team prime for regression. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like I, I agree there just in the sense that uh, once you're used to seeing a team and especially like game planning for a team in the postseason, you saw it in the postseason last year, uh, Golden State was like, hell yeah, we will play Sacramento without question. And it worked out really well for them. And I don't know if Sabonis figures out how to space the floor a little bit. Uh, maybe I think that could like shift the dynamic of the team pretty seriously where you're like, OK, the game plan gets a little trickier here. But if it's just like if they're running it back with the same roster, I think uh, most teams in the league would at least feel comfortable playing them in the postseason, which is not what you want if you're a fan of that team, just because, I don't know, like, when you play the Kings, you know if you have the personnel to guard them. And so if you don't have those guys, yeah, you're going to have a hard time. But, like, if you're the Warriors and you can throw Draymond Green out there and Looney's going to fucking eat boards alive the way that series went, yeah, uh, I think the Kings are really primed to – I don't know if they'll have as good of a regular season as they did last year, but even if they do – the postseason, I, I still have a lot of question marks around them. And 
When you mentioned Carl uh, Anthony Towns coming back, I think they could be in a weird position just in the sense that even if Cat comes back and he can give you 25 points per game, they might have to make some pretty serious uh, coaching decisions as to whether or not Carl Anthony Towns averaging 18 is more conducive to the team winning. Like he might have to take a step back offensively and be like, all right, Anthony Edwards penetrating the defense and us generating offense out from that is probably the path forward to this team really playing like high level offense. I don't think Carl Anthony Towns cooking in the post on the perimeter, whatever is really the path forward for them. And that stinks because he is like on paper, the guy that's entering his prime and is like the best version of the player that he's going to be. But that's kind of how it works out, especially with how this Gobert trade has happened. And just like, I don't know. It's running them together. I don't like. I really don't like that lineup. That's probably the biggest bullet point <laughs> I had on the state of the franchise. I'm just like, this running cat at the four defensively is fucking horrid sometimes. And I see the vision where Gobert and Cat can kind of make up for each other's deficiencies. Cat, really good offensively. Gobert can cover for him on defense. And if. McDaniels takes a step forward defensively, gets more playing time, and Anthony Edwards, who I think could be a really uh, high-caliber defender as well. If they can get really good defensively on the perimeter, I see what Minnesota wants, but that's a lot of things that would all need to go right. And in practice, if any one of them goes wrong, I think they'll still be like a very average defensive team. I agree with that. I I do. And the Cafit is wonky. But I really want to see how this plays out just for one year, fully healthy. I wasn't a, an advocate of them trading Cat because I said, you know what? Cat came into last year with a serious illness that made him lose 20 pounds. Then he got hurt, so he didn't play with this team. I want to see how this team plays. And if it doesn't look good, I, I'm a full advocate of Tim Connolly making a decision to trade Cat or Gobert, one of those two. But Cat's contract is so untradeable that anything you're getting back for him is going to be significantly less value than what Cat is as a player. Yeah, and I, I, I have it here. Carl Anthony Towns has become underrated as a basketball player, 100%. He is very good, and I think he gets a lot of shit for, like, talking weird or being soft or whatever. That's fucking dumb online. It's just the way that they've built this team does not maximize what he does as a player at all. And it's it's unfair, but it's what's going on. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like for them, it's really about just making sure they know Anthony Edwards is the guy. I was looking at this stat, and last year he had 700-plus drives on the season and was finishing at the rim at a top-10 rate. That type of slashing ability with with his ability to shoot threes, improving that mid-range shot, I'm very high on Edwards. Like I think he can be a top-10 player in the league. Whether that happens this year or not, I'm not sure. I think it can but I think Anthony Edwards can be somebody that in a couple of years we're putting in the top five because I think he's that good. Oh, I mean, I'm on the same page with you, especially I think for someone who has such a mechanically sound jumper as Anthony Edwards, it's pretty, it's not ugly. I think one of the easy step forwards for him that he could make over the next two off seasons is bumping his three point percentage up to if he's a 37, 38% three point shooter, that's a fucking 
nightmare for teams to guard just because he is so, I mean, Dwayne Wade-esque, just blowing by. Like, guys are sagging off him at points, and he still just fucking evaporates past them. And so, like, if you have to close him out, if he can attack closeouts, that's really tough to defend. And so, yeah, I'm with you. Next season, I don't know, top 10, but, like, next three years, sky's the limit for him. I totally believe that. I'm looking at these moves that they made in the offseason. One of them is the Edwards extension. It was five years, $260 million. The other three were Nas Reed, three years, $42 million. Alexander Walker, two years, $9 million. And Shake Milton, two years, $10 million. What do you think about the signings that they made? I think when you take a look at where the guard depth is on this team, and the fact that Conley is 35 years old. Um, when you, if you lump Alexander Walker and Shake Milton together, and you're like, if we can hit on one of those being a quality guard that we can move forward with as a part of our franchise, I think that's good. And I, it's not an overpay for either of them. There's a chance that neither works out. It is what it is. But if you can get one of them to just be like a competent guy next to Edwards, uh, especially if one of them can r- figure out how to run like a quality offense, obviously Mike Conley is very savvy in that regard. And you're not going to be able to pick up on like 15 years of NBA experience in an off season or something like that. But it's a nice guy for guys like that to learn under and try to learn tricks of the trade in that regard. But when you're picking up those two, I think uh, if you hit on, on them, it's fine. If you don't, it's not the end of the world. Nas Reed is the one that was very interesting to me. Losing him for nothing, uh, that would have been awful. Uh, so I'm glad that they picked him back up. I didn't realize he was so young because when he plays, he's very physically imposing and he's not like, I don't know, he (laughs) he carries himself like a 28 year old a lot of the time, just physically. And so I was like, holy shit, 23 years old. He's a very good backup center. I honestly hoped uh, the Nuggets losing Bruce Brown, we're going to be able to snag him away from Minnesota just because their backup center situation kind of sucks right now. Uh, But I think it's weird to have three big men of this quality all on the same team. But if you're committed to the idea that you're going to be playing Carl Anthony Towns at the four, you do need a backup center. And Nas Reed rocks in that role. I really like him. When we talk about the front court of the Timberwolves, that's what gets me excited about it the most because on the bench, you have Nas Reed and Kyle Anderson. I think Kyle Anderson is also one of those players that has become very underrated. He's a great defender. He's a connector offensively. The Timberwolves' playoff rotation looks solid. It's Conley, Edwards, McDaniels, Cat, Gobert, Nas Reed, Kyle Anderson, and then it could be Nikhil Alexander-Walker to be that eight man to fill up to fulfill that playoff rotation. To me, Nas Reed, one of the best contracts in the NBA, only getting him for fourteen million million a year. I think he's worth twenty plus million in the NBA. But I feel like the big move this offseason was just the continuity this team has now. Mike Conley was a midseason trade. Now having him full training camp for this team to practice and get ready for the oh, regular oh, season shit. with no I setbacks, can't. no injuries, no illnesses, no no um no injuries. I mentioned that. I just feel like this is the year that the Timberwolves can start off hot and they can start off swinging. But you mentioned it. The backcourt depth is concerning. 
because off the bench, you don't have any point guard. It's Jordan McLaughlin, and then it's Shake Milton. Do you have any more thoughts on the Nas Reed resigning? <laughs> nah, it's, nah, it's all good. I was going to transition out of that from just talking about like the trade destinations that we were we were going to talk about, like just uh, players they could go after. Mm-hmm. That's really it, but yeah, we could transition out of that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, is there any players that you think the Minnesota Timberwolves should pursue in the trade market this upcoming season? There is one. Because the backcourt depth is such a question mark, right now you're looking at Shake Milton and Jordan McLaughlin off the bench. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of Jordan McLaughlin somewhat. He's like kind of just like the player that I like, but I know realistically he won't get a lot of minutes on a true contender. It's TJ McConnell. TJ McConnell with Indiana right now. You have Andrew Nemhard. You have Tyrese Halliburton. They just signed Bruce Brown. I feel like they have enough ball handlers on that team. TJ McConnell, if he could go to the Timberwolves, be their backup point guard, bring defense, toughness, he's just the perfect fit for me and for this team. Damn. Yeah, that's kind of like bringing fucking – white pat bev on the team now that you're talking about that, that makes sense he's gritty and yeah no see i wrote down tyus jones for the same spot uh because i think washington's just gonna suck and they don't really care like that's too good or competent of a player to hold on to on a tanking team someone who's competitive will give up an asset to get tyus jones and i think he could do well with the timberwolves he kind of feels like he uh is becoming the next generation's Mike Conley in a sense. I don't think he'll ever be like fringe all-star level, but just in the sense that like you look at a team and you're like, Oh, they got Tyus Jones at the point. That's a, that's a, that's a good point guard. You know, he's not going to alter the fucking course of your franchise or anything like that. But I think he could help out uh, the wolves in a lot of similar ways that TJ McConnell could, but I like TJ McConnell more. I think he's a better defender. And I think uh, if you're trying to maximize what Rudy Gobert does, he spent his whole life surrounded by like, I don't know, who were the, uh, Donovan Mitchell's not a good defender. I don't want to shit on him. Everyone in Utah was not a good point of attack defender. And I think uh, if you want to maximize Gobert in Minnesota, get him guys like TJ McConnell. So I really like that pickup. I love the Tyus Jones name because TJ McConnell is someone that's a backup point guard. We know that he doesn't have any aspirations to start um, long-term where Tyus Jones is someone who can be the backup and then Conley's older so Tyus Jones could very well be the starter in a year and that's something Minnesota would desperately need yeah dude uh it's tough because Conley you bring him on great relationship with Gobert very good basketball player and I think he probably will be till his body fails him just because his style of play has always been very old man-esque, make the right read, hit your floaters, hit your open threes, shit like that. Um, but at 35, 36 years old, that is when a body starts to fail at an NBA level. And I think uh, with Conley, especially if they're leaning on him as much as it looks like they probably will be with this roster, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Shake Milton, everybody, they're nice pickups. But if you want to win basketball games, you're going to need like – a smart guy running the offense and Mike Conley's really the only one on the roster who I feel comfortable describing that way right now. Maybe Anthony Edwards has taken a step forward in his facilitation abilities. I think he can run the pick and roll fine, but 
as far as like more advanced offensive sets and getting the team really comfortable in a half court setting, uh, Mike Conley is the only guy they have on the team and is old as hell. So yeah, Tyus Jones, I like for that. I seen the question that you put that you sent me in preparation for the show about if it's on the table to trade Cat and Gobert out of Minnesota and shift the timeline, would I want them to do it? I'm actually curious to, to hear your answer. If oh, you dude, do it, I'm pulling the fucking trigger on that ten times out of ten. I it's it's the most frustrating thing in the world to me when a small market team does that to themselves, and I'm scared the Cavs might do it with Evan Mobley here in a sec. Uh, just locking yourself you don't get uh, the chance to be competitive all the time when you're a market like minnesota when you're a market like cleveland so when you have that opportunity i understand the desire to just pull the trigger on the move and get as good as possible right away this team is going to be falling apart by the time anthony edwards is 27 and if they hadn't done that go bear trade i mean i know we don't want to talk about the past or whatever nas reed kessler all that shit and moving forward mcdaniels that's such a good young team and so i think even if you move off of carl anthony towns and go bear both and you don't get proper value for either you just get like some nice stuff back uh i i would probably like that more just because when you have one of the best players on the planet, you like want to maximize what you're able to do with them. And I don't think Anthony Edwards is going to be one of the five best players on the planet this year. Maybe not next year. Maybe not the year after that. But once he's in like that 26 range, he's going to be disgusting. And so that's just, it's going to make me really sad if that's how it works out, that there's still like... I don't know, Carl Anthony Towns is in the final year of his contract. He's just like, okay, Gobert is bad now. The team, the construction, they haven't been able to do anything because they gave up all their assets and backed themselves into a corner. And you just have Anthony Edwards, like 2009 LeBron or something like that, just backpacking a team that should not be anywhere to an okay standing spot. I would do it. What do you think about that proposition? The move put a lot of pressure on Anthony Edwards. I agree with you on that. The idea of it is fascinating because you have Walker Kessler, and we already mentioned, like, in a vacuum, Gobert's probably still a better defender, but I think it's close. Like, it's not far off. And you would still have Jared Vanderbilt. We just seen what the Lakers extended him for. It wasn't for much. It's a very team-friendly deal. So you're talking about having Vando, McDaniels, Kessler. I mean, just those three defenders with Anthony Edwards is something that you're really intrigued about. And even though Vando has his like playoff limitations, I, I trust him to keep getting better. And he's somebody that fits the mold of just a great glue guy. And he's great for certain matchups, especially if you need to stop opposing offenses. Vando is great in the perimeter, and him and McDaniels would be an awesome duo. And it would take so much stress off of Anthony Edwards because now we know Cat and Gobert are not going to guard out there. So you're relying on Edwards and McDaniels to be your defensive stoppers, and that takes away energy from Edwards on offense to be fully maximized. You can't just hide them on somebody like you could if you had McDaniels and Vando on the team. For me, the reason why I wouldn't do it is because 
I just don't see them getting any return for Cat and Gobert. I, I think Cat is the worst one because he's somebody that is injured. From the, I think the perception of him makes teams around the league not want him, and his contract is worse than Gobert's. And if you're a rebuilding team, why take on Cat? It's just gonna you're, you're gonna have less of an odds to have a top pick. And if you're a contending team. I, no contending team is saying the missing piece here is cat. Nobody's saying that. Yeah. We just seen Boston. They traded for somebody that's not as good as cat, but can provide similar value in Christos Porzingis. And he's making half of what cat is going to make. So there are more options that teams can explore instead of trading for this guy who was on a supermax. And for Gobert, the question just becomes, you know what the, the contract is horrible. He's getting paid, I think, thirty or forty million dollars. And defensively, he offers you a ton, but offensively, it's the in in coordination, the missing bunnies at the rim. You know, His hands there's are a lot of so yeah. bad in like the he drops like four passes a game. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, there's headaches with Gobert. So for me, it's like there's just no team that I think would be like, okay, we'll give you a young player and some some first round picks for these guys yeah i totally agree i mean i get what you're saying and it's very easy for me to say that i would do it i have no investment in the timberwolves beyond like i'm not even a proclaimed anthony edwards fan i just watch him and i'm like that motherfucker is gonna be really good (laughs) and so i'm not like actively rooting for his downfall dude when you throw the name uh jared vanderbilt out there just to like kind of go off on a tangent he fits next to Carl Anthony Towns so much better than Gobert. Like now that I'm just kind of like thinking of it on the fly, because he's also a really underrated uh, help side rim protector for a, like a four position. And it allows Carl uh, Anthony Towns to stay at the five full time and be a solid rim protector, be a seven footer who can stand there with his hands in the air while deflecting a lot of the defensive needs onto Jared Vanderbilt and not costing 35, 40 million dollars a year. It's tough. And uh, yeah, nobody is moving um, big shit for Carl Anthony Towns. It's just, yeah, like I said, it will make me sad if we get to 28 year old Anthony Edwards and there's not even like a fringe all-star guy on the roster with him, but maybe McDaniels will become that. And if McDaniels steps into something of that role, uh, I think they might be able to transition from the Gobert cat era into a future that sees McDaniels and Anthony Edwards kind of blossoming into very talented players at the right time with a good cast around them. So respect for you for taking a stand, not siding with the host. I totally understand. (laughs) You know, with Rudy Gobert, um, I think the thought process with getting him was in the West, we're going to have to see the Nuggets. We're going to have to see Jogic. We're going to maybe have to see LeBron, and we're going to have to see Anthony Davis with the Lakers. Do we want Cat and Vanderbilt to take on that responsibility, or do we bring in Gobert and let him defend them? And while we know, you know, those players are great, they'll have their way. Gobert is the player that gave Jokic the most resistance in these entire playoffs. It wasn't much, you know, Jokic is phenomenal, (laughs) but Gobert was the one that gave him the most resistance. And if that's Cat or Vanderbilt out there, I mean, they don't have a chance. Yeah. Um, And it's tough. It's tough 
for Jokic to be the only fucking look that you see in the postseason because I believe like if Anthony uh if Anthony Davis and Rudy Gobert went at it in the playoff series with the way Davis has like really struggled shooting the mid-range or hitting his floaters recently. He blew up the Nuggets in game 1 and then it didn't seem like he hit a mid-range for the rest of the series. Um that's a that's a guy who's a lot better look for Gobert just in terms of like making life really difficult contesting shots cuz Jokic it there's nothing you can do. And so I think that's a standard that uh I don't know. It fucked up DeAndre Ayton this offseason, too. He he got lit up, and a lot of people are like, he's not even trying. And there were some plays where the rebounding is uh, suspect from Ayton or whatever, but just watching someone watching someone lose to Jokic in embarrassing fashion and then holding them super accountable for it, I don't think that's smart. Uh, you can find ways to win if you just have someone who can like try their best out there against him, I guess. And Gobert is a good guy for that, so... I don't know. I'm not I'm not super mad at the move. I get it. It just sucks. That's that, that was it, the yeah. second it happened. I was like that's so much like draft <laughs> capital and players for Rudy Gobert. But I don't know. If you're a small market, you got to do what you think is right, I suppose. Is it nobody saw it coming when it was Minnesota Timberwolves are like, well, well that's kind of shocking. Why would they make the move out of all teams? I was hoping he would go to Dallas cuz I think Gobert in Dallas with Luka I think that's exactly what they needed. I'm looking back at the plan game between the Wolves and the Lakers, which went to overtime. The Lakers beat the Wolves 108 to 102. Edwards shot three for 17 from the field. He had an, his worst, one of his worst games of his career. Gobert and Jaden McDaniels did not play. Kyle Anderson did not play. Nas Reed did not play. So we're talking about Gobert, McDaniels, Reed, and Kyle Anderson, four of their best players not playing it, and they lost by only six points, and that's with Anthony Edwards having one of the worst games of his career. I think the Timberwolves got some bad luck there because had they beaten the Lakers and secured the seventh seed in the West, I think they would have beaten the Grizzlies too, and they would have advanced in the playoffs. Damn, that would have been such a good series, bro. The Grizzlies versus the Wolves round two. Everybody's kind of grown up a year. Oh, I didn't I didn't even realize that that could have happened. I, I don't know. I guess I kind of my brain kind of wrote it off because it didn't happen. But dude, holy shit. And then we would have gotten L.A. and the Nuggets in round one. Damn, that would have been. Yeah, if you could change something to make the playoffs a little more exciting, I guess that would have been fun. Missing all those people for the plan. Is that the game where McDaniels punched his hand or punched yeah. the wall and Dude, oh my god. I mean, it's not going to change the outcome of the Nuggets series, I don't think. But that's somebody who could make, like, uh, Jamal Murray's life very difficult. And they just didn't have him at all. And that really came back to bite him in the ass. Obviously, it's going to suck whenever one of your good players breaks his hand out of frustration. But, yeah, missing him. Kyle Anderson is a guy who always has poise in big games or seems to at least and is always capable I mean when the games were close it felt like him and Mike Conley were the guys I was most scared of on the Timberwolves just being (laughs) like dude that three is going in no question and so yeah missing all of those players and then making it competitive even with a bad Anthony Edwards game against the Lakers that's promising you can find hope and stuff in a loss like that 
Yeah, it was just unfortunate Edwards had that bad of a game. He rebounded well, at least. So that was something I was like, you know, Edwards can still impact the game, even if he's shooting poorly. The reason why I'm not worried about the Timberwolves' future, like you are, is because I'm very invested into Jaden McDaniels. I think Jaden McDaniels is a star. He's already a defensive star. It was a shame he didn't make the all-NBA defensive team because he deserved it. According to B-Ball Index, this guy was the best wing perimeter defender in the league. He was the best wing at, at navigating over ball screens. Elite defender, 99th percentile. We know that. But the offense, he had a stretch of five games, and I know it's five games, but <laughs> he had a stretch of five games in March where Edwards kind of wasn't playing that great. Just a game where he had to take on more offensive responsibility. And he dropped 25 against the Bulls when the Bulls finally figured out their, their defense. 18 against Toronto, 18 against the Knicks, 25 against Atlanta, and 20 against the Kings. In March, he averaged 15, and that's with, you know, Cat coming back and, and Edwards still being on the team. So, for me, I do think like McDaniels is one of those players that has kind of been put into this Jalen Brown situation where there's just so many good players in front of him that skill is scoring that he's not going to be someone averaging 18 to 20 a game because of opportunity. But if McDaniels was somebody that was asked to be a, a main scorer, I think he can average 18 to 20 a game efficiently and he shot 39 percent from three this past year 50 percent from the field mcdaniels is one of those players that i think quietly can become one of the best two-way players in a league yeah i did not when i was combing through the roster just to like see what's what and what's going on i did not realize he was that good of a three-point shooter i did not tune into that many wolves games last season if he i mean if you like with cat coming back very difficult look to bump your uh, field goal attempts up when you're like consistently adding a 22, 23 point per game score. But if you could get him up to 16 points per game at age 23, he maintains those percentages a little bit. And then you kind of have him, I don't know, it feels a lot of the times when a front office sees a guy take another step forward when given the opportunity, then they become comfortable extending the opportunity more and more and so I don't know it's not like a make or break season for him next year or anything but if it opens up for him to be like a 17 point per game score and he can kind of like step into that role a little bit uh, I think his path forward to becoming the kind of player that you see him being I think that's a very good first step on that. And if not, I don't know. If he just turns into like a really good defender, 13 points per game, 40% from three, that's not the end of the world either. That's a quality basketball player, especially the kind that you draft and you have next to your star player for their entire tenure together. That's um, one less piece you have to worry about finding in free agency or a trade or something like that. They're not going to have to go make the Nuggets Aaron Gordon trade uh, something like that, just to find like a quality defender. When you build role players in-house, it removes a lot of the headaches from things like free agency and trading for guys, especially for a market that's not going to attract free agents the way Minnesota doesn't do that. At worst, I see Jaden becoming OG Ananobi. 
pimp. OG's a weird have, name. Yeah. And if you have OG and Anobi who, you know, he can score 16 and 18. He's going to be one of the best defenders in the league. That's still a plus. You know, that's not second best player on your team kind of guy, but it's impactful role player that every single contender wants on their team. I, I compared Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. We Anthony Edwards is Jason Tatum. The Jaden McDaniels and Jalen Brown comp, that's where things get iffy because some people are like, well, Jalen Brown is averaging 25 a game. He yeah. is an all-NBA player. For McDaniels to get to that point is a long shot, but there have been so many NBA players that have come out and they've talked about McDaniels and they've been like, like he's one of the more underrated players in the league. Anthony Edwards always props him up, saying that he has the most potential on, on the team. He's the most important player on the team. And for me, just if other players are recognizing what he can be or what he is, but just the, the opportunity hasn't presented itself, I feel confident. You know, he's 6'11", he can shoot the ball, and he has some nice handle. Like, he's somebody that can break down a defender, and surprisingly, he was one of the best players on post-fadeaway jump shots. Damn. Well, that's a good that's a good sign, I guess. That's a tough shot to be very good at. And when you when you mention the name OG Ananobi, my my instant reaction, I'm like, oh, that's OG. Because that's like the aura that OG has developed in the fucking league nowadays. Mm -hmm. But when I like think about it more, I'm like, okay, just a really good three and D player. Uh yeah, I could totally see McDaniels becoming that. I don't know. It's just weird that OG between like all of like the rumors about three firsts is the starting price for him. They won't move him for Dame, stuff like that. He kind of has this air around him when we talk about OG Ananobi as like a guy who's going to be an all-star or something like that if you move for him. And he's really good, but I don't think like, I don't know. Like I said, my reaction was like, no way will Jaden McDaniels become that. But when I think about it, it's a lot more tangible than I first thought. I think OG is a pretty good comp for him. Now, question, when it comes to the Raptors, would you have made the Dame trade? Like, do you think Dame, OG, and Siakam with J Yaka Pertle and Gary Trent Jr., I think, is on the team? Do you think that's actually a team that could do some damage in the East? Let's just say that they traded Scotty Barnes and Grady Dick or, or a first or something. If they move Barnes, I think... I mean, I think they're probably on the level of like a Miami Heat team. I would probably still have a healthy Celtics and a healthy Bucks over that roster just because there's Toronto's kind of split their roster in the middle at that point between guys who are like 6'10 and they want to roll out all at once and play very switchable. We're all over the place defense. But then you have Gary Trent and Damian Lillard built into your roster as guys. Gary Trent's a good defender, but he's not very big. So it's not a, it's not a super traditional path forward to rolling out like a super good lineup. And I don't think that team blows uh the the best blazer rosters that Damian Lillard had out of the water I'm not sure how happy he would have been to do that so if I'm Toronto if I have like communication from Dame's camp that he'll be super chill here and he'll like come and play and fulfill his contract I guess I probably would do it just because like you already have Siakam and OG who want out anyways but uh 
I don't know. It doesn't surprise me that they didn't. I don't think, I think the Milwaukee fit, which I didn't see coming, fucking blows everything else I heard of out of the water. (laughs) Him and Giannis is, yeah. I'm glad the Nuggets won last season because now (laughs) like if they can repeat, cool. But if they had come, like if they got into the finals and lost last season and now I had to deal with all this bullshit, I'd be furious. Would you have made the trade if you're Toronto? I would have made it. I would have made it if I was them. I, when I look at the Blazers rosters Dame has had, it was always Dame CJ, and the wing depth was horrible, and Nurkic was always kind of hobbled with some injuries, so you know we never got the best version of Nurkic. But the Raptors have Siakam, who's an all-NBA player. You have OG, who blows any wing out the water that the Blazers had in their tenure. And Yaka Pertle is also a, a very good center. He's like in the tier of the Steven Adams of the world where, you know, he's not an all-star, but he's very good. He do, he's good at what he does. That team quietly, I think, could, could match up with the top teams in the East. But, of course, it just all comes down to star power. You know, will Damon Pascal outplay Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in a playoff series? So I think in that type of setting – there would have been a lot of pressure on Dame to deliver as the best player, where in Milwaukee, he's the second best. Yeah. And I, to be honest, now, like, thinking back on Damian Lillard's career, he's always been that first guy, and so we've always kind of evaluated him that way. First of all, there's nothing wrong in a historical context with being, like, a 1B on a team with a guy like Giannis next to you. Steph Curry was like that next to Kevin Durant. Whichever one you want to say was better year in, year out. Steph Curry was routinely like, there were playoff series where he wasn't good as Kevin Durant and vice but versa. on and off. Oh my God. Curry. <laughs> you know, he, Kevin Durant was nothing without Curry. <laughs> Dude, holy. I mean, it's one, of the mo- it's one of the most toxic conversations you can get into with people who really give a shit about it. Because, I mean... There aren't that many Kevin Durant fans that are passionate. Steph Curry fans will go to fucking war for that guy. And so, yeah. But, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a second option. And so if Dame plays well en route to a championship, I think uh, that fucking rocks for him. And it's kind of a... The whole don't run from the grind thing. He's been called corny for a while now. He, to me... Totally, uh, probably is one of the 75 best players who have ever played basketball. Uh, And so I think him getting a championship and kind of solidifying a lot of the ideas we've had around him for a while now, that would be good for him. That's good for the sport. I like it. And I like Giannis. So I don't know. Milwaukee winning, it's not the end of the world to me. So you don't think the, the Nuggets are repeating? I, right now, um... Damn, my the way I've answered this every time so far has been a tentative Denver repeat is my response to who I think's winning the title. But this is the first one I've done since Dame got sent to Milwaukee. I will shift my answer to tentative Milwaukee probably, but I think Denver and Milwaukee are in the same tier. And mm-hmm. maybe if Porzingis just fucking excels with Boston – they could be in that tier as well. But at this point, I think it's probably Denver and Milwaukee in that 1A tier by themselves. And if that's a finals matchup, um, yeah, I'll go Milwaukee right now. But if Denver won, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, I think it really just depends on uh, 
probably how the rest of the rosters around your best guys play. It would not surprise me to see nuclear Giannis, nuclear Jokic, nuclear Dame, nuclear Jamal. And we're kind of like fighting it out in the margins between like Chris Middleton and Michael Porter Jr. or something like that. But yeah, I'll go Milwaukee right now. The last podcast I did, um, we recorded yesterday and we talked about the Dame trade and we asked, we posed the question, you know, are, are they title favorites? I was looking on FanDuel to see the odds for the championship. The Bucks are one, number two is the Celtics, number three is the Suns, and number four is the Nuggets. And that was surprising to me because I don't think any team this offseason made enough moves to get in front of Denver to win a championship. I think the Bucks getting Dame was a huge move, of course. You know, that should be the early favorite to come out the East and maybe possibly win a championship. But when I look at the team, I think the depth is a concern. I think the backcourt defensively is a concern as well. As good as Brooke Lopez is, he's not he's not handling Jokic. It's, yeah. Giannis isn't handling Jokic either. As good as they are, they're not gonna they're not gonna stop Jokic. Jamal Murray is going to have his way with Dame. Dame will have his way on the other end. But the the flip side of that is that the Nuggets have KCP and Aaron Gordon to put on Dame. And I think they can do a good enough job, better a better job than anybody that can guard Jamal Murray with the Bucks. The Bucks don't have many picks to really, you know, um to explore the trade market. And we're talking about a backcourt of Dame and Pat Connaughton. With the yeah. injuries they have, like the Chris Chris Middleton gets injured, Brooke Lopez is older. Like this is a team that I don't know how much I trust them. Like the depth is a is a big big concern, and so is the defense in the backcourt. And their wings fucking stink defensively. For how good the Yan- or the Giannis Dame pick and roll, oh stretching the defense, all that stuff is gonna go, which I think will rock. A Celtic series could be very difficult if Tatum is like really, I don't know if you're going to see another full step out of him, but I think Tatum has room to grow in the sense that he'll have 40 points, then he'll have 18 on shit efficiency, and then he'll have 37. If he can consistently perform at like the level we expect out of the best players in the world, and Jalen Brown can just be like passable, hit open threes, and continue to do the things that we know he does well, those are things Milwaukee is not equipped to handle right now. Um, and so it would kind of be a shootout. And I think Milwaukee is good enough offensively to have a shot in any shootout they're in. But yeah, defensively, there are a lot of questions around them that it seems they've just gotten kind of used to Giannis and Brooke being an answer for. And losing Drew Holiday as a point of attack defender, the Nuggets pretty handily outclassed them in that regard. I would say you throw Jamal Murray onto the Bucks, he's the best point of attack defender they have on the roster he's like the third or fourth best one in Denver if you consider a guy like Christian Brown off the bench who I think could be a capable guy to throw at Dame for stretches just like tire him out and stuff like that so I don't know I, I, I think when you have star power like we've talked about I guess Milwaukee probably still has the best star power but yeah, there is a lot of question marks around the roster that if we revisit this halfway through the season, my answer could be completely different just based on how every team is looking. I look at the Miami Heat and I say if 
they if to if to, right now the news came out that they're trading for Drew Holiday. I don't know who I'd pick in the series between the Bucks and Heat, and I I I actually would kind of lean the Heat if they got Drew Holiday. If okay. the Heat got Drew Holiday, I'm I'm looking at Drew, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and we know the rosters filled out with other good players. But just those three, the Heat have given Giannis the most problems in the playoffs. And if you have Drew to put on Dame for a series, now we're talking about, and, and nobody to guard Jimmy Butler. To me, it just feels like there are holes on this Bucks roster that can be easily exploited. And I think the impact of Drew Holiday is being severely undersold because people look at his true shooting numbers, which they tank. You know, he's at 59% in the regular season. He drops to 49% in the playoffs. But I think context always has to be added into these conversations. Okay, Drew Holiday's not shooting well, but what is, what is he being asked to do? And what he's being asked to do is shut down offensive players where in the regular season, he's not guarding the best players on the other team 82 games a night for the entire game. Where in the playoffs, well, in the finals, Drew Holiday after game two was the big was one of the biggest reasons why they beat Phoenix by locking down Devin Booker and making him his life hell and making him inefficient. While Dame is a better playmaker offensively, I think when you take into account offense and defense, Drew's a better playmaker than Dame. Passing lanes, steals in the passing lanes, pickpocketing, just defensively make creating points on offense. Drew Holiday's value is being undersold a lot. And I think we're going to recognize his value if he goes to a, a contender like the Clippers, like the Heat, even Philadelphia maybe, because Philadelphia can have Embiid and Tyrese Maxey as their scores, and Drew Holiday can score, but he'll take that primary assignment defensively. I, I feel like Holiday is definitely getting undersold right now. Dude, Drew, and the Philadelphia thing, uh, I don't know. Every every East team that kind of wants him right now, I don't believe in the Clippers, so if he went there, I think similar shit would happen where he's being asked to do way too much offensively when someone goes down. But the Celtics, the Heat, and the Sixers adding Drew as like a go-to point of attack defender. The Celtics, him and Derek White as a backcourt defensively would be fucking nasty. Um, him with Embiid backing him up so he can just be as aggressive as he wants because – I'm critical of Embiid offensively in the postseason. This previous postseason, everything he was fighting through, he was still a monster at protecting the rim. He was very talented in that aspect of the game. And so to have someone that they don't really have in Philadelphia, like Drew Holiday, to go and just pester another team's offensive ball handler, that would fucking rock for them. And then, like you said, Miami, I'm not sure about the depth uh, of Miami because now that they've lost Struess and Vincent, if you give up, hero in the drew holiday trade i'm not exactly sure what the package would look like the, the miami series i'm not sure how it would pan out but i think they would give them trouble just in the sense that dame versus drew one-on-one -on -one, it was years ago but dame did get fucking clamped in that series we yeah. saw it and it's so to it's totally different now that he's playing with Giannis and everything but there is that established history and if jimmy if we get round one jimmy from last season to even just like balance out the numbers that Giannis is putting up, which that's a big if, because I don't know if that version of Jimmy is coming back. But 
once you like have those two canceling each other out and then it's just kind of into like who's going to win that battle between Dame and Drew Holiday and a bunch of the other role players, that would be a difficult series. I don't think I think they're the favorites to come out of the East Milwaukee, but depending on where Drew lands, I don't think they're going to just run away with it. He is really good, and I think he is a little bit understated, as you said, as far as value goes. Dame got traded to the Bucks, and that's the huge splash move. I think where Drew Holiday gets traded is the needle mover in the East. Like If, if Boston gets him, I don't see how you can make an argument against Boston not being the favorite. Yeah, I think it's difficult because it would not surprise me if uh, last year was an outlier year for Porzingis in terms of durability. And if he just like goes back to everything we've seen from him in his whole career, and then you have Time Lord, Horford, and Porzingis, three guys who uh, health-wise, I mean, Horford's the most durable, and he's a billion years old at that point. I think there are problems there. But, uh, like, yeah, I, I get what you mean, though, in the sense that Boston would be a really tough cover at that point. And As that's right one of the... Now, though, I oh, have... Sorry. It's all good. As of right now, though, I have the Nuggets winning the championship. I have them repeating. Respect. Hell yeah. Well, I'm always nervous that if I say something out loud, the other thing comes true. So <laughs> Milwaukee is storming their way to the title. Absolutely. All right. I don't know. I think we kind of naturally worked through everything there. Um, It's been like 15 minutes since we've been talked about the Timberwolves. I guess I didn't hear from you. What do you think like a disappointing season would be for the Wolves? And what would a surprisingly nice one look like for you next year? Disappointing season is making the play-in or missing the playoffs. Surprising Western Conference Finals appearance, but I think it is in the realm of possibility. And my expectation for the team, they have to secure a top six playoff seed. Like, there, no ifs, ands, or buts. At Right now, second year into this experiment, they went all in. They have to be a top six seed in the West. Exact same thing that I wrote down. It was just uh, a reasonable expectation as a top six seed. I didn't go too far into how they're going to do in the playoffs, but I said surprisingly nice. I think uh, a four seed is not uh, overwhelmingly unreasonable for expectations. Just if everything works out in uh, Minnesota's favor, especially because, I don't know, uh, standings after like the top two, three in the West every year, it feels like get really wonky. It's always just like a fucking dog fight. And so I think they could secure a top four seed and then disappointing, even if they're, I'd be sad if they were in like the lower half of the play in tournament uh, again, to be honest, just, uh, I think they're better than that. I think especially the plus side of Anthony Edwards being so young with all of these guys who you expect to be steady around him is the fact that you will get uh, advancements every offseason from him. Hopefully big steps forward. And if you can get one of those out of Anthony Edwards this offseason, I think you probably will given how good he was in the FIBA tournament and everything we've seen like that. Um yeah, they should be better than, like, the nine seed. That would be disappointing to see if I was them. I agree. When it comes to the Timberwolves, and this is the last thing I'll say about them, it just sucks that the West is so crowded 
because the Lakers, Suns, Nuggets, just all healthy, top three in the West. The Clippers, you can never discount them. And I'm surprisingly optimistic on the Mavericks this season. Luka didn't make the playoffs, you know, last year, but I mean, that's an outlier. We know that Luka is always going to carry the Mavericks into the playoffs. Their rebounding and defense was so horrendous that I find it hard to believe it'll regress. I think if anything, it gets better. And I think they had a really good offseason by by getting Grant Williams. I thought that was a huge addition to their team. And Luka, to me, feels like somebody that's coming back to kind of prove people wrong. So if I were to like just give my top four in the West, I'm going with the Nuggets, the Suns, Lakers, and Mavericks. I'd have the Mavericks over the Clippers and we didn't even mention the Warriors, but you know we're talking about six teams that, if everything goes right hypothetically, maybe outside the Mavericks because I know I have a lot of belief in them. Five teams in the West that, if everything goes right, they can make the finals. Yeah, and I mean that's not even talking about uh, like just like you need a little bit more luck, but the Kings and the Grizzlies, I think, are just like right in the tier below that especially there's a timeline where the Grizzlies you know Jaw comes back from that suspension they're not very high in the standings he plays very focused he plays at a very high level of basketball and they kind of come roaring back to the point where now they're like a really good team that you know is probably going to continue winning down the stretch and so there's a lot of pressure on you to keep up performing well. Otherwise, you're going to slip in the standings. And so, yeah, I think the West, it's kind of getting back to the early 2000s a little bit. I won't say like 2008 or whatever it is when there was like nine 50-win teams in the West or something like that. But it's just, yeah, it is very deep, and it's hard to tell at this point what the – I mean, I think Denver's going to be one again, but after that, anything could happen there's so because of the teams like you mentioned the Suns and the Lakers pretty fragile as far as like regular season goes if Kevin Durant or Anthony Davis or LeBron is to miss any extended period of time that's going to seriously affect where they're at in the standings and stuff like that so it's just tricky to project and I think the Wolves will be in the thick of it though I I believe in them there's so many teams that are going to fall short of expectations we didn't even mention the Pelicans with Zion healthy and that's a team to me that last year was looking like a team that who can stop this team if they get into the playoffs? <laughs> yeah, dude. Zion, I, yeah, I don't know. Not to just bust out another fucking tangent, but Zion, underrated. If he can have a, a Joel Embiid career arc, which it seems that's like the hopeful thing for him at this point where he overcomes these lower body injuries and figures out a way to be effective. He was playing at an all-time level, man, and it definitely seemed like an engine that uh, New Orleans had really coalesced around and was figuring out how to win basketball games. And so, yeah, I don't think – if Zion's healthy, I don't think the Wolves are leagues ahead of them or anything like that. So, yeah, it'll be a battle, definitely. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um that's pretty much all I got for you today as far as questions go. Is there anything you want to plug now that you have the platform here? 
yeah, you know, you guys can, if you're watching this and you like my takes or whatever I said, you know, that you can go watch some more on the Pick Aside podcast. But just want to give a shout out to you, you know, starting this endeavor, this this podcast. Very happy for you. Hope this grows and has a ton of success. And I, I just love seeing people branch out and, and do great things. And you do great stuff already. You're one of my favorite TikTok accounts. Hell yeah. Think that means a lot, man. I don't know. It's it's hard out here. So I appreciate you, you know, spreading the love and stuff like that. I hope it does well too. I'm having a lot of fun doing it and I'm sure I'd love to have you back on at some point in the season to talk about where things are at, not just with the Wolves, but with everything in the league. You're a smart guy. So we have a lot of stuff we can talk about. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to it. Even if you want to have me on for the Knicks, I, I, I'm good. I'll represent <laughs> the Timberwolves and the Knicks hell yeah a true renaissance man he does it all ladies and gentlemen (laughs) small markets big markets it doesn't matter okay well uh that's all i got for you guys today thank you for tuning in listening watching wherever you're at and i will see you in the next episode peace